Well, we have been served well this morning in hearing these truths. And I'm glad that um, Kurt encouraged us to open our hymnals, to be able to read along with that and follow along the message of that. God's people in that song were looking longingly for the day that Emmanuel would come. We hear that and we look back and we can sing, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel did come to thee, O Israel. He came to offer salvation to the world, and we look forward to his second coming, and we long for that, don't we? I can't go through a week like I did last week, and the Lord's taking home my father and not think about that longing as well, looking forward to that, and that song reminds us, because Jesus came, we have the greatest hope the only hope, and he will come again, and we look forward to that as well. So grateful for the musical talent that God has blessed in this little church. It really is remarkable. I've been amazed about that since we have come here, and it is appropriate. Music is very important to God. We're going to see that this morning as we were going through the practical aspects of our worship service and each one, the importance of each one. Certainly music is a powerful and important aspect of that. And folks, even as I mentioned music this morning, I think you understand we can't cover all aspects of, of the power and importance of this. We could literally take, uh, do a series that could take months in going through every aspect. I'm so grateful that we have um, learned people in our congregation, Kurt and many others who have studied this and who have all of this information literally at their, their fingertips and are great, wonderful references uh, for this. We are going to look at just some specific principles that are so important. And we're going to start with Psalm 100. It's appropriate since we were just finishing up the Thanksgiving season to reflect a little bit more closely. But also, be ready to turn to Colossians chapter 3 as well. I am aware of a ministry a number of years ago that decided it had a challenge where there were a number of people that were being asked to work on Sundays. And you know that the challenge and the difficulty in our culture and society with that, it's, it's one of those great burdens that, that we face, the people of God that want to worship. And yet, in order to hold down a job, sometimes that's not always, um, we're not always enabled to be able to do that. And we had people, um, there was people in this ministry that had that struggle. And so, the pastor, the leadership decided to have an early morning service specifically for people that couldn't make the morning service for legitimate reasons um, to be able to come to that early service. It was a much more streamlined service. There was only prayer, a mentioning of prayer requests, um, announcements, and then right into the service, whether ill-advised or not, it's what this church did. Well, what happened is uh, people, visitors started hearing about the early service and started attending that service. And there was a family in particular that showed up to this um, particular church service as early service uh, numerous times. And 
leadership noted that and mentioned to them eventually. They said, you know, this is why we have this service, but we do have a full worship service in the morning hour, whatever time this church met. I'd like to encourage you to consider coming to that. And this family in particular, uh, the husband representing the family said, oh, that's okay. He said, we like, like this service better. We don't want to have to, we're, we don't particularly appreciate the music aspect and all that singing. And it seems kind of showy. And we just like to come and hear the word preached. Well, I hope you understand as you hear that right away, what the problem with that is, is that we're commanded to come and worship together and to, for music to be an important part of our worship that we offer to God. It's not something that should be taken lightly or should be ignored or taken out of the service altogether. No, it's an important part of our worship as we come to worship God together. That particular family um, had a misunderstanding, certainly, of the importance of music in the service. And as we know, as we've been going through this series on worship, the truth about worship, worship is one of God's central commands to his people. And we've talked, uh, emphasized, hopefully you understand that ultimately the worship service is not meant to please the individual. You will get a blessing out of it done in the right way. God's people will have joy and will have gladness and thanksgiving as we're going to see in the passage Psalm 100 today as they worship. But primarily the worship service, the First and foremost principle and desire of our heart should be to please God. Lord, are you pleased with what we're doing in this service? Not the highest priority of what do I like or am I pleased with it? But are we pleasing God? And God is very serious, as we've seen through many passages about how we worship him. And he has expectations, right? We've seen that for our praise of him. And today we're going to see he has expectations specifically as we praise him in singing. And this message is contrary to modern worship standards, where the focus seems to be many times on what the people like as much or perhaps even more than what God expects and is pleased with. Because, folks, God does have principles and expectations regarding music in his word. The music we use and sing in the worship service should be presented before God and ask, God, do you approve? Do you appreciate the music that we use, that we sing, that we hear? Another aspect that sometimes goes unemphasized in this discussion is also the right heart attitude. So the right heart attitude and the manner in which we sing, God has principles prescribed in his word. And we're going to see that this morning. Let's go ahead and read Psalm 100, and then we'll have a word of prayer together. It says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And the King James, all the earth, other translations, all ye lands, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, 
and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth, King James says truth, that means faithfulness endureth to all generations. Father, give us understanding. Lord, we know music is a powerful tool. We have experienced that this morning in the beauty of worship, singing your praises and what Travis offered to you in his violin solo this morning, and Suzanne and her playing and so many other things. Lord, we pray that above all that you will be pleased with the music aspect in our worship service, and that you would continue to help us to be careful in this, knowing that you have expectations and keeping the principle foremost that we please you rather than ourselves and this and the other aspects of our worship. Help us to accomplish that as we humble ourselves before you and that we won't in any way violate your expectations for our worship. This we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, in Psalm 100, first of all, we're going to see that the attitude that we have in our singing, it really does matter to God. And we should sing with gladness. You can't read verses 1 through 3 in Psalm 100 and not understand that. But that first verse there, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. All ye lands, or has the idea of inviting the whole earth to join in praise to God. Now, there will be ram or, or parameters expressed in that when we get to verse 3. But the invitation is one to the whole earth, and it has this idea of this joyful noise. Now, you may have read that in the past and been a little um, encouraged, because you might say, well, Pastor Brock, my singing tends to resemble noise uh, more than, 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 beauty, than beauty and eloquence. And we're thankful that God does allow all of us to sing, and all of us should be singing, by the way, and participating in the singing, regardless of how we think our voice sounds. That's really not what the, what the psalmist is trying to portray here. That Hebrew word is actually a word for joyous shouting and welcoming. Even the idea is used many times for fanfare for an approaching king. Now, don't misunderstand me on this. It's not um, that we're, I'm saying that we need to have more shouting and, and cheering in the worship service. Um, we are always trying to be respectful and having that atmosphere of awe and reverence for, for God. But folks, there ought to be an idea of anticipation and joy and almost this in our spirits, this idea of I can't wait to worship and praise God in my singing. I've just been looking forward to this all week, and that joy, joyful shouting may be in our hearts as we approach God's throne and worship him together in song. See, right away, that first phrase there goes against that story, that illustration that I just gave, that there ought to be an anticipation of proclaiming the truths of who God is in song, a joy. So really what we're saying here, make a joyful noise in the Lord's. We're inviting all people to sing with excitement 
in anticipation of God being in our midst. And that should certainly be the attitude of God's people here today and in all churches. Many times there's an excitement and anticipation for the music that I like and that's going to be performed in a specific way. But no, the joy is anticipating being able to worship God and do it in a way that's pleasing to him. Excitement. And all the peoples of the whole world, again, are invited to join in the singing. But verse 2, the psalmist starts to give us parameters for this. We don't think often of the worship service as an opportunity to serve God, but it is. He says here, serve the Lord with gladness. This is in the connotation of singing and worshiping him in the worship service. All of us who take part in worship should come with a heart and a readiness to serve. Lord, I am serving you in the singing that I'm offering to you, in agreeing in prayer, in the giving, in all of these things, I have come to serve you today, Lord. And I'm going to do that with gladness. Participating in our worship service together this morning truly is an act of service toward God, and it ought to be a service that we are glad to offer him with gladness. That word there has the idea of an attitude of wholehearted joy. We kind of miss this in the word being glad, although that can have that connotation, but in the Hebrew, it's the idea of wholehearted joy and jubilation. It's overwhelming with excitement and appreciation and joy for what God has done for us, even cheerfulness over the fact that we are singing in God's very presence. Now, I have had the opportunity to be at a pulpit many times in the past and preach to folks, and I'm not saying anything about your expressions uh, this morning. I'll have to ask Kurt afterwards because I wasn't too cued in. I was focusing on on his leading and trying to sing and think on the words. But you can get up here sometimes as a leader and leading a congregation singing, and it becomes very apparent on many people's faces that there's no real excitement or even cheerfulness at all. And that's a shame. Not that you have to paint a smile on your face all the time, but folks, really, as we look out and, and, and as the leader works out in worship, he ought to see a group of people that have gladness that are glad to be here, that are glad to sing and are cheerful, excited. We get to do this. Not as much, oh, I can never get that note right, and oh, I hope I'm not. No. And, and for the person that's sing, singing next to you that sings really well, don't get frustrated with the person that's next to you that may not do that quite as well. Remember that they are called to sing as well and to sing with, with gladness, even if it may not always be on key. Have patience with them. This is a service that we're all giving together. We are singing in God's very presence. And he ought to see joy in our hearts and gladness. Uh, the theological word book of the Old Testament said this. I think this was helpful. The frequent employment of the term, the very word for singing, come before his presence with singing, indicates decisively that the highest mood of Old Testament worship was joy. All of these words for singing have a connotation of joy and gladness to them. So there really is no excuse for us not to have that kind of attitude as we sing together. The psalmist commands it. 
Well, how can we have that kind of joy? Well, here in verse three, we have the parameters. As we invite the world to join us in worship, here's the thing. The world and those that worship God and and those of us in this service this morning must have a relationship, a personal relationship with God. They must, verse three, know that the Lord, he is God. To know God well and to know who he is and to know what he's done for us and that intimate knowledge of God that we received through his word and, as the New Testament clearly indicates, through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, faith and trust in Jesus, that relationship then that we have with God, that he gives us through grace, through Christ, we can truly know him through his word and understand his word. And that gives us our motivation then to sing with gladness. Only successful worship can take place if we have, if one has a true personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as the psalmist is calling the world to rejoice in worship, he's also calling them to a personal relationship with God. Otherwise, they will not be able to worship. The world cannot understand the joy and the ability to worship that believers have because they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But for those of us who do have that, the true followers of God acknowledge that he is our creator. What do we know about God? It continues. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves, or some translations say, and we are his. And these reflect the idea that we understand that God is our creator and that he has all rights to our lives. And he has all rights to expect the kind of conduct that he requests from us. That understanding in our relationship with him, he's our creator. He has the right to tell us how he wants us to worship him, how he wants us to live our lives. That is the understanding of true followers. But they also recognize that he's our shepherd. They don't balk under that authority. They know that he's our shepherd We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. They know that in submission to him, they can trust him because they love him, because of what he's done for them. He has made it clear his care and love for them as their shepherd, and they gladly recognize his authority and care, and not only gladly recognize, but they rejoice in it. They don't grumble. Shouldn't come to church with a grumbly spirit, a critical spirit thinking of all the things that you wish God would do in in your life and and things that haven't gone well, or maybe the things that have happened during the week that you're frustrated about and you're very cynical and your heart's not prepared for worship. And you're really not, you haven't humbled yourself. You're not submissive to your shepherd. Our hearts ought to come ready to be submissive to him and to rejoice and who he is, and what he's done for us. So our first attitude as we sing, and I hope as you were singing this morning, it ought to be filled with gladness, with joy. Second part of this psalm also points out that we should sing not just with gladness, that's important to God, but also with thankfulness, being thankful and grateful for all that he has done. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, 
and bless his name. This is the picture of God's people entering into the temple area. At this point, um, it may still have been the tabernacle, um, but entering into the worship area filled with hearts of thankfulness, having premeditated on all that God has done for them and thankful to him for what they've done. Hearts of gratitude as we enter to worship with God's people. And all these words, interestingly, for praise in these last two verses have connotations of gratefulness and thanksgiving. So there's no excuse as we come into God's house today among his people. We ought to be ready. We ought to have thankful hearts, right? And we ought to be ready to praise him. Be thankful is a command and bless his name. Offer praise to him because you're so thankful in all that he has done for you. We need to have meditated on that. Well, why should we be thankful for God? Well, I think you know already, but the psalmist still helps us out with a few things here. In case you're struggling, verse 5, for the Lord is good. Just simply, God is good. God is good in all of the things that he allows into our lives. The blessings, the joys, the triumphs, the hardships, the trials, the difficult things. In all of those things, there's that phrase, all the time, God is good, or God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. That helps us remind us of what the psalmist says here, that we can be thankful in all things because we trust in our God that he is fully good, he is fully trustworthy, and he will always do what's good for us. Folks, if you understand that truth alone, going to be more than enough motivation to worship him and sing to him today, right? But the psalmist doesn't stop there. He continues, his mercy is everlasting. That word for mercy is a wonderful word. That word chesed, God's steadfast love, his loyal love, that even when we don't deserve it, even when we fail him, even when we mess up and do things the wrong way, even when we come to the worship service this morning, and aren't prepared to worship him and fail at worshiping him, his loyal love is still towards his people. He's still ready to forgive. He's still ready to show us his faithfulness. His mercy is everlasting. He will always show his steadfast love to his people, not just in this life, but forever. Imagine one day we'll be bowing before Jesus' feet and experiencing visually, as well as spiritually, his love for us and his steadfast faithfulness to us. What a wonderful truth, and how that ought to motivate our hearts to sing his praises. But again, the psalmist isn't done yet, and his truth endureth to all generations. This has the idea here, the Hebrew word of God's faithfulness. God has been faithful to his people throughout history. How do we know that? Well, read the Old Testament. Read God's word. Know that he has shown faithfulness to his people in the past. He will show faithfulness to us today. And he will show faithfulness to his people forever. And we must recognize that throughout history and into eternity, God will be faithful to us. It endureth to all generations. Who know him. 
Now, when we reflect on that, don't you think that that should have an effect on how we sing? Joyfulness, gladness, thankfulness. Maybe even as we get ready for the last song here in just a few minutes, our praise might be up, might be accelerated or be heightened by a couple notches as we reflect on these things. Our heart attitude in our singing, folks, is very important to God. And I hope you see that. But also, the music that we use in our singing matters to God. Turn to Colossians 3, 16 through 17. And again, there's so much here, and we only have a few minutes to reflect on this, but these principles are important as well. Specifically in 16a, the first part of the verse, the words of the singing should reflect scripture accurately. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. What is the word of Christ here? refers to the teachings of Jesus to his disciples, the apostles. But then, remember how we've been um, talking in the Gospel of John, how the Holy Spirit would come, and, and we'll see this tonight as well as we continue in the Gospel of John. We'll continue to teach Jesus' followers about who Jesus is, and they will write through the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit and their teachings and their writings of Jesus Christ they will proclaim what the Holy Spirit imparted to them. So literally all of God's word, in a sense, could be termed as the word of Christ. His teachings that he gave to his followers and what they wrote afterwards through the power of the Spirit. So all of God's word then needs to dwell in us richly. In other words, these teachings, God's word needs to be a deep, intrinsic part of each of our lives. Every believer, believer ought to have depth and ought to have intimate knowledge of this book. It ought to dwell in you. It, it ought to come from you all the time on a regular basis. Some, um, I, uh, I believe it was a hymn writer or an author in the past, maybe during the time of the Puritans, said that if someone were to cut us, that we would bleed scripture. That's a vivid picture of the truth that it ought to dwell in us richly. And part of, um, or one way in particular to aid in that, how can we know God's word that well? By this teaching and admonishing one another. To teach and to encourage, exhort, correct each other in God's word and its application to our lives which is wisdom. And he says they're admonishing one another in which in wisdom. That's why we teach. And we preach God's word here as, as an aid to help us to understand it more. But notice it's not just an admonition for the pastor, but it's, he says us, it ought to be the church. We ought to all be involved in teaching God's word to each other and admonishing, helping apply the principles of God's word to each of our lives and taking opportunity when it may, when God makes it apparent that someone needs correcting in a gentle way or encouragement or help in understanding God's word, how to apply the principles and truths of God's word to their lives that we're ready to do that. Admonishing one another, that word wisdom 
refers to the application of God's truth to our lives, how we live it out. And God's people need to be ready. It's not just the responsibility of the pastor, but it's the responsibility of all of us teaching and admonishing one another, encouraging, I could put it admonishing this way, encouraging spiritual change. That's our responsibility. And we can help then the word of Christ to dwell richly, even more richly in us. But there's a second phrase here, isn't there? A second part of the verse. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, this can be misunderstood sometimes as a separate category that we're supposed to teach and admonish each other. And we're also then supposed to sing and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But actually, folks, correctly understood, this is a description of a further effective method of teaching and admonishing Christ to each other. It falls under the umbrella of teaching and admonishing. Paul's saying here in Colossians, one way you can effectively teach and admonish, and admonish each other, help each other to change, is through the singing of God's music, of songs, just like we did today, to encourage each other in the Lord and to teach. So it is another aspect of aiding us in helping God's word to dwell in us richly. We all know the power of music. And we all have favorite hymns and things that when we struggle and when we're struggling with things, those, that, those hymns and that music in a powerful way, way remind us of God's truth in an instant, sometimes even more quickly than even memorizing scripture. We can go to a song and that song, if it is accurately imparting God's truth, which is so important, these t this is why in our music, we're careful of a lot of things, but one of the things that we're careful of is to make sure that we're scripturally accurate in the songs that we're singing. Even in some conservative churches, even in some hymn books, there can be there are songs that kind of miss the mark sometimes on some of the message. And we're, we try to be careful in that here, that what we're actually singing, the actual texts and the words are truly the words of Christ that they truly reflect, reflect scriptural principles. The words that we sing should reflect scripture accurately so that we can teach and admonish each other to change, to become more like Jesus Christ. Finally, the music should reflect spiritual purity. Our music and its sound must also be spirit-guided spirit and supervised, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That word spiritual is the first part of spiritual songs, um, reflects that all of our singing and our music should reflect spiritual integrity and purity. Let's just quickly touch on what those words mean. And I have to admit that in, in these words, there is some overlap. Uh, there, there's a little bit of, of a description that kind of um, reflects each of these words, but there's subtle differences here from what we can tell in this, in, in this study and in my study, when it refers to, Paul refers to the Psalms there, he's primarily focusing on the songs of scripture. In Acts, the book of Acts, 
the word Psalms is referred to and applied to the book of Psalms in our Old Testament. And I think Paul is first of all reflecting on the fact that we have a lot of songs in our Bible, the book of Psalms, and there are Psalms in other places. And so this description here talks about the word of God that was sung by God's people. That can certainly, that should certainly be a part of our worship service. God's word put to music ought to be a fundamental part of our singing together. Then this other word, hymns, is most likely, although it can kind of bleed over into the Psalms category as well, but it seems to uh, refer to established, recognized songs that were used to teach truth about God, to proclaim his praises. And it's in, in one essence, it's rather in the same manner, in one sense, of the hymns that we sing today. When we think of hymns, we think of songs that are established that have been proven over time to be um, to be encouraging to God's people, but also to reflect accurately the truth of God's word. Sometimes hymns that have stood the test of time for hundreds of years. And I think that category that we sing today reflects in one sense what Paul's talking about here. And then spiritual songs. What does that have to do with? That word for songs there is the Greek word ode. And that tends to be a broader term that encapsulates um, a lot of, of music or music genres. And so some folks might look at that, and if they didn't have an understanding, they might say, okay, well, that means that all types of music are acceptable to God because that word's a little more general. No, that's a general word that has a describer, okay, that specifically gives specific aspects of what those songs should reflect. And that is that they should reflect, reflect, excuse me, the character of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual songs. So whatever songs, the rest of the songs that this word includes, it's still governed by the pure standard of the Holy Spirit. And the whole standard of the Holy Spirit is all throughout scripture, right? The fruit of the Spirit. Our singing ought to reflect joy, peace, love. God's word is clear when it comes to sensuality. Flee fornication. That sensuality is wrong and shouldn't be a, a part of our worship. And so certainly as we reflect on what our music should be, um, aspects of sensuality um, that comes from the world's music certainly would not fit the character of the Holy Spirit. And so we're careful, even in the sound of the music that we present, as well as the text, to make sure that we are governed by the principles and standards of God's word, of scripture, that the Holy Spirit is pleased, that God is pleased, that the music we're providing, we're singing is pure, free from sensuality, um, that governs so much of the world's music today. Now, I realize that's a topic in and of itself that we could spend a lot of time on. I'm so thankful that we have men, we have uh, women in this uh, congregation who have studied this for so long. Uh, Kurt himself rec represents decades of music ministry where he has studied this out 
and so thankful for he and, and for Rob and their careful attention as we prepare worship music for this service. Um, as your pastor, uh, I have no concerns or worries that the music that we're going to be singing represents the character of the Holy Spirit. And really, this church has had a history of that. Pastor Dean, so thankful for his ministry in the past. Um, Phil Rush's ministry and leadership as well. We have had a history of being careful because we want to make sure that our music is accurate to scripture, but also pleasing, spirit-led, pleasing to God, and fits the principles of purity of scripture. It's so important. The songs in words and the music of our worship services, folks, right? It must be first and foremost pleasing to God. We had an experience on the way back. Uh, our last flight, it was Arden's first time that he remembered anyway, flying. And uh, we had to split up our trip. I was hoping to get a flight straight from uh, Manchester to Greenville and ended up having to go to Baltimore both times. And the last flight was the most memorable. Now, thankfully, they were all pretty smooth. There was a little bit of turbulence. He got to experience pretty much all of the different experience without maybe the heavy turbulence that sometimes you get in, in some uh, flights. So he, he got off pretty easy. We had some easy flights, but there were a couple that were delayed. And unfortunately, they were delayed while we were on the plane, which you know is even worse as you're waiting to take off, not even at the end, but the beginning. And as we're waiting, even as we got on the plane, I noticed something that I'd never experienced before. And there was music playing over the speaker. And folks, it wasn't even, it was, it was pop music, secular pop rock music. But it wasn't even, if you're tempted toward that, it wasn't even a type of music that was, um, if I can put this up, a quality that you would even be tempted by, tempted by. folks, it, it was just awful. It, it was horrible. Um, and, and the singing and, and the text and all these. And as immediately as we got on the plane, I thought this, this does not bode well <laughs> as we're sitting down. 15, 20 minutes on waiting, the pilot gets on and says, well, folks, we're checking out the final things of the flight. And one of our technicians has found something that we're just a little worried about. So uh, we're checking on that and, and we'll get back to you soon. And then finally, 30, 35 minutes after being on that plane with this awful music going the whole time, I was reminded of the power of music and how it can aggravate and agitate. And I was watching people around me. Arden was getting agitated, but even other folks who I know didn't know the Lord. There was a, a man sitting next to Arden who made it pretty clear that he didn't know the Lord and he was using some colorful language and some different things. But at one point we were waiting and he said, all of this in this awful music that we have to listen to on top of this, this is horrible. I said, I finally, the stewardess, I got her attention when she came by and said, please tell me that this music is going to be turned off by the time this flight starts. And she said, yes, once the plane starts off, then, then the music will go away. I'm thinking, couldn't it happen any sooner? <laughs> It was, it was a burden to us, but it was a reminder to me of the power that music holds. It has a power to it, folks. It has the power to lift, as we heard this morning. It has the power to burden and agitate. And folks, don't tell me then 
when music, when a vehicle that has that much power, that it doesn't have then moral principles on how to govern it. When you have powerful medications that we have in our culture today that, that help and hinder, depending on the dosages that we use, it becomes a moral issue if you overdose on something that could be good, but used in the wrong way, it becomes a moral issue. You could say certainly um, the problem with alcohol that we have today, um, the very substance itself is a moral issue because of the power that alcohol has, even in small doses. So don't tell me with the power of music that's so very apparent right in front of me, even in the situation, that there are no moral expectations from God and how we should use it. Practically speaking, that just doesn't make sense. People say music is all moral. Really, we can do whatever we want with it and listen to whatever we want, and it's okay with God? No. God and the Holy Spirit direct our music for the worship service, not what we like. But it's Holy Spirit directed and God approved. And I'm so grateful that we have that tradition in this church. It really is something to be thankful for. So, folks, singing is an incredible tool that God has given to us. And it should be used, as we've seen, to teach and to train each other in truth and godliness. And it should be entered into with hearts of joy, right? And thankfulness from reflection on who God is and his worthiness of our praise when we worship him together. Not just the message, though, and I hope you understood this, but the power of music, the intrinsic power and substance of music must be subjected to the purity and right standards of God's word so that it is pleasing to him, and we use it in a manner that he requires of us. When we have those principles and standards, and when we have a heart of joy and thankfulness ready to sing, God will bless that singing, and his presence will be with us. So we have one more opportunity here in just a minute after we pray. Kurt's going to come up and lead us, and I hope you're ready under these parameters to worship the Lord in song. Father, thank you for these truths. Thankful for the reminder, and there's so much more we could say about the power of music. Thankful for the reminder that it must be pleasing to you as we worship you together. That it's not about what we like, but that it matches your standard of excellence and purity. Help us as a church to always have that in mind and to always be pleasing to you in the music, just as we have today, Lord to continue to be pleasing to you as we sing with hearts of thankfulness and joy. Help us to have that attitude as well. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.